0: I would like to invite you on a voyage, a crusade or a quest, whatever you'd like to call it. But a journey nonetheless that began for me many years ago when I hit my own personal metaphorical iceberg. As we all navigate through these uncharted turbulent waters, this perfect storm entrenched in such polarized shards of dark and light, I hope to use this vessel to unearth and share a few of the beings from around the globe that can hopefully offer some respite during this ambiguous time. I call these individuals the torchbearers, the stewards or the bridge builders. And in this era of false heroism, dare I even call them the true influencers. We ask the question, who do we recruit aboard this proverbial ark, the ship that will be navigating perilously through this new and unfamiliar territory? with a view to reshape and regenerate our relationship with the animal kingdom, one another and the planet Earth, the only home we know. These are the stewards, the thinkers and the doers. Accompany me, Rona Mitra, as we voyage onward toward the shores of our undeciphered future. On The Last Arc. Hello and welcome to the very first ever episode of The Last Ark with me, Rona Mitra. Thank you so very much for joining me. And I would just like to say out of the gate that this is entirely unfamiliar and foreign territory for me. Uh, This sitting in a room alone with a microphone and not really much else at all. Um, But somehow I'm here. And I just wanted to explain to you why it is that amongst the myriad podcasts that are out there, why it was important that I put this together and share this with whoever really wants to listen. Um, Many moons, well, how many moons? Probably about eight moons ago, without getting too lugubrious, because it will transpire, the connection to these stories and the people will transpire, uh, the connection to my journey and why they have been pertinent to me and helpful. But um, many years ago, I developed the idea for a docuseries called The Last Dark. And due to this global pandemic that we're all navigating through together while we're all sitting on the naughty step and thinking about our behavior um, and while we're not allowed to jump on airplanes and bop around and willy-nilly just take camera crews everywhere we are adapting to a different way of communicating and sharing information and so through the wizardry and magic of these devices and uh these my uh, airwaves and, and i i can't even my, my 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 brain can't grasp quite how it happens but for example james Mwenda, my very first guest we worked out more or less. He is nine thousand six hundred and sixty miles away from me, in Kenya, and somehow, more or less, we managed to actually put together a fairly, fairly cohesive conversation, <laughs> even though I can't talk now. Um, but please do forgive the quality of the uh, the sound, because back then I managed to grab James before he went on leave, but. Somebody had the Monopoly on all the microphones, so the sound quality is not great, but bear with us because I promise you it does get better. But um, I managed to have a lovely chat with James. For those of you who don't know, James is a photographer. He's a safari guide. He's the subject and narrator of Kafaru, the film. And how I've come to know James is um, through some friends on the ground in Kenya where I've had the great privilege, privilege of working in the past. Um, they put me in touch with him and we had a lovely chat. He's the caretaker of the last two known great northern white rhino. And he works at Old Pagetta Conservancy. And so we'll learn all about that and what the conservancy are going through during this really stressful time where tourism is... Um, non-existent and the uh, ecosystems there are under huge duress um, as are the boys and girls and the men and women who are responsible in taking care of these uh, these animals so um, I really hope you enjoy the chat towards the end of it James managed to get some video footage of the rhino which you can see on my Instagram page I am Rona Mitra and you can also see on the last little ARC Instagram page also. Um, I really hope you enjoy the chat. Thank you so much for tuning in and leave all your comments and um, questions on the Instagram pages. I look forward to hearing from you. Enjoy. Hi, James. How are you doing?
1: Hi, uh, Rona. Uh, nice to meet you, um, James, and I'm doing well. And uh, um, here in Kenya at Ol Pejeta Conservancy, and um, looking after the last two northern white rhinos.
0: You are, aren't you? That, that's, the, yeah. that, that's the word on the street, James. It's a real um, honour to to meet you, and thank you so much for taking the time. We've got this amazing box to communicate through. Um, Five thirty in the afternoon, seven thirty in the morning. Here, having my morning tea with you, and um, a real privilege it is. Um, thank you so much for taking the time. Um, James, before we get into, uh, uh, Olpegeta and the conservancy and, um, and everything that goes on there, tell me a little bit about yourself, where you are, where you came from and how you arrived at what it is you do now, which is, as you said, you are the, the guardian of the last two remaining great Northern White rhino on the planet um, as we know it, uh, which is an extraordinary position. Um, you're their guardian angel. So tell us, um, tell us a little bit how you arrived at this, in this, uh, this, this, this incredible position.
1: Uh, I grew up in Meru, which is uh, 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 two hours away from where I am now in Lakeyipia, and I grew in. Um, in a in a simple neighborhood uh, where I experienced a first-hand human wildlife conflict since I was a small boy, uh, I remember back at the age of six, seven years, I would um, see the, the much pain my community was going through, especially because of the elephants that um, came and hit all our farms, and we were left with nothing uh, to eat. Um, And since I was a small boy, I was always trying to think beyond uh, the the bitterness and and the pain that my community had and tried to sort of understand the elephants and and, and my community. And I think um, elephants were no lovely animals to my community. And it was a testament because I spent two or three days sometimes when I was that young without food simply because the elephants came and ate everything in the farm. So... Uh, I grew up in such an environment, and uh, it was also a poor neighborhood uh, where we had uh, um, the only hope we had was on our little farms, and so there was a lot of faith in what grew in our farms, and and that is all where our investment of hope was. But then, the pain of seeing elephants come in at night and eat everything is what sort of uh, ignited a conservation uh, dream in me because I wanted to grow her. You know, become an adult and understand elephants for the well-being of my community, and uh, uh, it was what now made me desire to be into conservation. Uh, And uh, apart from that, uh, my place was very busy with tourists who are going to Mount Kenya. I come very close to from my home is very close to Mount Kenya, one of the most beautiful and scenic routes to Mount Kenya. And um, tourists passing by. Uh, would give us biscuits and uh, tips, coins that they had left in them, and sort of something also triggered me to desire to be uh, into into the tourism environment as well. So it's a combination of those two factors that uh, led me to desire conservation. Growing up to school, I wasn't able to afford school in best times, and um, and uh, you know I wasn't able to make to school when I needed to, and but I was focused to be a conservationist. So um, I pushed myself through primary school with a lot of difficulty. I wasn't able to join high school on time. So I had like an eight year um, The government gave free education. I came back to school uh, at the age of 23 at high school. I pursued my four years of high school Uh, I did pretty well to join a university, but again, I couldn't afford to join one. And then um, that's when I ended up looking for a job that would complement my young age dream. And I ended up uh, coming to Opegeta to pursue that. And um, uh, I I came and now started working in Opegeta.
0: So so thank you for that, James. Um, For a lot of people who haven't had the incredible privilege of visiting Kenya, um, and I know your neighborhoods I've actually um, I've had the honor of visiting um, that, that area and uh, working with uh, a couple of communities over there and it is incredibly beautiful, um, especially when you can you can see the mountain and it's clear on a beautiful day. but I think that a lot of people don't quite know our our relationship with elephants over here are um, obviously we, we have a Connection, which is very, um, you know, it's built on storybooks and, um, and a great admiration and love and, and respect for this majesty of this incredible creature. But they're living on the ground, um, as you know, they're really considered by a lot of the community to be an incredible, uh, uh, almost a pest, um, I would say. Um, although I've seen that changing, isn't that right, in the last sort of five, ten years with a lot of uh, yeah. com- community incentives and wonderful organizations like better and Big Life. Um, yeah. so, so tell me, when you were a small boy and you felt that um, desire to move in that direction, were you considered to be, a? was that, were you going against the grain of what most people in your communities did at that time? Or did people consider that to be an act of rebellion? Did people think that you were maybe, joining the enemy in a way and wanting to protect because I've, I've been there when those conflicts happen and it's crop raiding so people think that the the conflict with the elephants is a poaching conversation mostly you know with the ivory but it's really not there is this animal human on ground conflict that a lot of people are not aware of and it's very real yeah. it's very dangerous and um so, so were you considered to be, uh, was that something going against your family and going against your community by wanting to go into conservation?
1: I, I think it was because I remember the simple conversations that I had with my mom since that bo- as a boy and telling mom that, I don't know why I have a love for these elephants, even though they're causing us a lot of pain and a lot of harm and a lot of distraction in the farm and my mom would, would 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 dismissively tell me that you're just a boy you don't know maybe what you're talking about um but but look at these animals i i work on this farm uh for months just just to to plant the, the food and the plant the, you know anything that you can see or need. but these sort of agents of darkness come in the in the night and 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 they eat Everything that I've worked for months and months, um, you know planting and, and weeding and, and you know making sure they're fine and so it was considered a bit of rebellion, I have to say, because no one would understand how a small boy would would, would defend elephants there, were, there was no benefits to 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 the community by the elephants they they were just destructive. Uh, and there was no anything like compensation for the food, uh, for the plants they destroyed. There was, you know, you can imagine that scenario where that is that is the only source of your income, and that is the only source of food that you have. So, there was a lot of hatred. Again, it's the elephants from the community. I see so many would wake up with bows and arrows. So many would uh, wake up with metallic things, and they would, you know, try to to strike them to scare away the elephants. So many would come with. Uh, burning flames full of smoke to try and scare them, I think you understand that first and uh, way of handling is uh conflict with the elephants, and so it was sort of like I seemed to be like going off the 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 expectations of the of the community other than joining others and um, planning how we would drive them drive them back to, um, to the forest. I would have a bit of uh, I would you know stay behind and sort of imagine. What could have been done better to, to make sure that that was solved? So I would say I was considered that, but I was very, very passionate because from a logical understanding, these were animals, you know, and there was, they were doing their best. They were trying to, to, to survive and live. and uh, coming and eating our farm was disastrous. But then they are, they are other beings without a sense of understanding like we're humans. So I had that side of understanding since I was a small boy.
0: You just you just called them agents of darkness. <laughs> I've never, yeah. and I mean that's uh, that's like something out of uh, you know out of out of a movie. But I've I actually have witnessed um, this firsthand in, in the night and and, and when uh, an elephant has crop raided and and I've seen the community's response to that and it's um, it's it's very it's very it's a very powerful response it's a lot of anger and a lot of frustration and like you said it's you know months and months of hard work of planting your crops and then you know the elephants obviously you're in their corridors which you know yeah. they're passing through for you know however long and so like you said um everybody's doing their best but on both sides uh, it's a, it's a very it's a very uh, complicated situation So you kept with uh, you kept with you kept with that in your heart then for, obviously all your life. Um, So it's obviously your vocation. You're obviously supposed to be what doing what you're doing, James. So, um, uh, Alpagetta, tell me about the conservancy. It's the conservancy itself, and tell me about what Alpagetta is about. Um, I mean, it's it's obviously the foundations are sustainable conservation built on tourism and, um, and conserving a natural ecosystem, which um, habitats, uh, habitats are a whole variant, not just rhinos and elephants, but also uh, a myriad of other animals that you can talk to us about. Um, but at the moment, the real issue is, is obviously that the, the conservancy is, 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 uh, is reliant on donations and also tourism, correct?
1: Yeah.
0: And, so, yeah. and so we are really up against this hard time at the moment where the park is as many as all parks actually in Africa are incredibly exposed and incredibly vulnerable so James tell me a little bit about the Conservancy what it is that, it, that you guys are, are protecting and, and what it is that you are, what your ethos is and and what it is you're up against
1: at the moment. Uh, as 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 uh, has been as had a tradition of uh, branching from so many years ago, uh, it has uh, been transitioned from different people uh, dating from the settler ages. Uh, was once owned by Lord Delamere, who was one of the very you know Brit, you know uh, influential settlers that came to Kenya, uh, and it has been passed on to a number of owners down the line. But the persistence. Um, aspect was mostly ranching. Uh, it was bought by um, uh, Annan Khashoggi, who we know as a multi-billionaire, who deal with, with harms and, and was a businessman. It was then owned by Rono East Africa, um, which also did much of ranching. And um, you realize in 1960s and 1970s, there was a massive wave of poaching that happened all across Africa uh and and saw so a massive decline in the total populations of, of elephants and rhinos we have kenya was badly hit because we lost from twenty thousand black rhinos to 400 black rhinos um uh, rono east africa then uh was was the was the owners of these conservancy but i term were being called Rono east africa and they decided to set Uh, um, a few acres of land to provide a sanctuary where they would um, protect a few of the remaining rhinos and elephants to continue repopulating them. You realize uh, in the 70s and uh, all through to the 90s, uh, there was a bit of awakening that was happening in the mid, uh, in the late 1980s and early 1990s and people were realizing that we are losing these iconic species and they were setting up lands and, and securing habitats that were left, even as much as fragmented they were, at least they would be able to protect a small population of these animals. So All Vegeta Now was um, opened as a sanctuary in 1988 by Rono East Africa to provide just a few rhinos uh, with, with, with a hope for a future. and and still the other side continued doing ranching. Uh, And in 2004, it was uh, purchased by and Fauna International, and uh, it was now officially opened. The whole conservancy was opened to be uh, a conservation area. Uh, We started with 20 black rhinos. Uh, We are now the leading black rhino sanctuary in Eastern Central Africa with uh, over 130 black rhinos. Uh, which is actually way above the carrying capacity. We can only have 120 rhinos. So we have uh, surplus rhinos that we are purchasing another land that was given, uh, that is government owned, to take the surplus rhinos. So it's a, it's a, it's a place that I've had so much conservation success, but it's also um, the first conservancy to introduce a model type of conservation uh, where there's uh, livestock wildlife integration. So uh, the persistence uh, of um, of ranching still goes on, where we have over six thousand head of cattle. So that ensures there's maximum land uh, utilization, and there's so much benefit of doing this, and also sending a sign, as as you know, in Africa, where especially in the, in the as we move to the north, are nomadic pastoralism is so much practiced. It's as a model type of conservation that can be replicated in other areas and prove that humans can coexist with wildlife for for the mutual benefit of each other. And so um, we also also have a chimpanzee sanctuary where we rescue chimpanzees that have been abused and and, uh, sold into pet trades and have been confiscated. So we have a a chimpanzee sanctuary uh, which is the only place in Kenya you can see as such. And so uh, we have been mostly known for that, especially the black rhinos, because they're sort of uh, the umbrella species. You know, they, they they are charismatic and iconic species. And, you know, the motivation to protect them helps us to protect the 90,000 acres of of, of predator conservancy that we have. And uh, as you've mentioned, we... Mostly rely uh, for our operations cost to uh, to operate. We rely 80 percent of our operations costs are uh, derived from tourism. And and now with this pandemic, uh, we are in a very serious crisis. That the work and the success that we've had for all those years is now being compromised by this pandemic because uh, without funds to protect, in what is like um, uh, a battle between poachers and and us, uh, then it's very easy we can lose the vinyls that we have and, and, and the hard work that has been put there for years and years.
0: Yeah, um, it's what I feel when you tell me that is my my, my, whole, my whole heart just gets incredibly tight because I feel that what you have there is this this blanket of protection over something incredibly precious. What are you feeling at the moment in as far as uh the jobs that need to be protected and and obviously you guys you you need your do need salaries uh, um, the feeling from the external community because you've got two threats you have uh the poaching and you also have the 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 reality of 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 bush meat um so you also have local communities who are going to be getting hungry and that's a real conversation too so. I know that's different in, in, in various areas depending on the level of desperation. Um, so how is that feeling at the moment and as far as like where the threat is coming in?
1: Yeah, uh, as, as far as the pandemic and, and the cases in, uh, in Kenya are concerned, we are now starting to feel the heat of, of all of this. Um, it's like tourism has come to an halt, and um, that is what really like funds everything that we need. And the truth is that it's really, really worrying. There's so many ways to look at it, whether it's from the community aspects. One of the reasons why it has been successful has been because of its Um, so much um, input on the community because you can succeed as a conservation area without empowering the community, supporting infrastructure, their health and and education and all of that aspects. And also employing over 60% of the locals um, to to come and work directly into the conservancy. And now with this pandemic, uh, the conservancy now has no option if this has to continue. Uh, At some point, maybe... Uh, all the all the hotels and the camps that were here have been closed. The, the community was was supplying all these hotels with with the supplies that they needed. So there is no jobs. Um you know uh time goes the, the tourism that was happening was mostly done by the locals around this area so they they're not experiencing that. And from the conservancy perspective in terms of security our first security has been the community, you know. Uh if that motivation is lost from the community then that's how poachers filter through. And um, we, will, we will now continue because if this continues, then at some point we'll have to cut much of the operations that we need, be it the high area surveillance that has been effective to make sure we protect the rhinos. We have to cut the cost of the, the, the cars that we have patrolling, uh, the rangers, and, and, and the, the manpower that is needed. So some of it will have to be cut down. And if that is cut down, that is where the compromise comes. Because then um, it will be easy for anyone to come in at any particular time and know that at least um, they have taken away quite a substantial amount of security of so it's easy to grab. and the fact that we have the largest con- concentration of black rhinos uh, it's very easy. It's, it's very easy for one to, to to decide that I will go and easily get a rhino inside there. So we're already feeling the the, 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 the heat we're already feeling the um, the loss and, and, and it's really a worrying time that and, and unless we are able to come up with a way that we can be able to maintain our operations, uh, you know, the cost of operation and make sure that at least everything continues to stay stable, then um, all the hard work that we've put for all those years or the energy or the resources that we put to building or purchase that will be where it is, then it's going to be compromised. And on the other end, if the communities lack anything to survive with, then the motivation of protecting our predators or our conservancy is lost. They will say we don't have food, so we need to break the fences and go graze our cows. We will we'll have to go in and, and, and shoot an animal and, and have it for dinner or for, for, for food for our table. So there's so much to look at it in different ways, but already we are feeling the effect. And uh, it, it's really a worrying time.
0: Uh, Yeah, that makes me feel full of dread, to be honest with you. Um, James, um, I can't imagine what it must feel like being there because I know that the connection that you also have with uh, the animals and um, that's your home, obviously. I know it it must feel like that in your heart Um, and the level of protection and uh, it's more than just a job, (laughs) isn't it? Um, yeah. James, I mean, I, 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 would love to talk about your particular, your particular role in Olpegeta, um, in, in, in taking care of those, those two wonderful, uh, ladies. So tell me about your day and tell me what that looks like and tell me, tell me what your, your, your primary role is there at Olpegeta.
1: Um, my role is, um, being a caretaker, where I and my colleagues look after these two known to exist northern white rhinos, my day starts very early at six in the morning, checking the the rhinos and making sure they are safe um, and then the general cleaning uh, making sure they are you know uh, feeding troughs, they are watering troughs, their sleeping areas are okay, and then we add them uh, out to a grazing area where they spend much of the day um uh, because we close them in a small, uh, safer place during the night, and in the morning we open for them to go into a bigger area, and uh, the other day is spent between uh, educational talks that we, we 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 have between because there's so many people who want to come and see these last two Northern White Trainers and. We, we see it as an advantage to talk more about extinction and the plight of endangered species. And so we have educational talks that happen. We also have volunteers. People can come and volunteer with us. And um, we we will just have an hands-on experience on what it is being on the ground and protecting these animals. and And also we have students that come and we are addressing environmental issues and, uh, discussions that are that are very healthy, citing the northern white rhinos as a, as a as as the emblem of extinction. They are. are so those that's how are my day is. Are
0: those, are those still happening right now, James? Are you still? Are you no. still? No, that's not. So that's what. Yeah. This because I saw at the moment, which is awesome, is that you guys are doing what's called a sofa safari. So you can go to the Oljapeta site, right? And and uh, there's there there's there's a sofa safari going on, right? So which covers which. Yeah the whole, cons- which is, which is, which is really epic. Um, but, uh, yeah. but, but these just, just, just talk about the, the two girls. From what I understand, um, the Conservancy uh, uh, inherited them from, uh, was it a, was it a, a zoo in the Czech Republic, wasn't it?
1: Yeah, we received. Uh, two boys, we, we received...
0: two boys, uh, the same, uh, there were two, two boys and two girls. Isn't that right? From what I understand. Yeah. I remember. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, we had uh, we received um, two uh, males from the Czech Republic Zoo in 2009 December, and two females. Um, they came as as four, uh, and and what was considered was their breeding potential. Their age was good. You realize that the the you know the native homelands for the Northern White channels was northwestern part of Uganda, South Sudan, and DRC Congo. Those were the very major strongholds, but um. Political conflicts and, and 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 terrorism is what and poaching is what led to their numbers in the significant significantly. And were it not for the zoo uh, coming in and taking a few rhinos, taking them to the zoo, uh, the idea was to try and breed them and to introduce them back again to Africa. Uh, but that didn't work so well in the zoo; the breeding wasn't so good, and that's why they decided to bring all of these back to Africa and see whether the essence of Being in the African soil would stimulate sexual activities and have them like mates. Unfortunately, um, it didn't happen even after coming. In in 2010, 2011, they showed natural science. They mated, took samples for analysis. Unfortunately, no pregnancy that was confirmed. We also tried to crossbreed between a Northern and a Southern because there's a prospect of having a crossbreed, but also that didn't happen. And now the only hope we have is to go for artificial reproductive techniques and that is where we are clinging the hope for.
0: So what, so what that means actually, James, is that the embryos have been taken from both of the females that still exist, correct? And um, is that right? From, it's a mother and daughter, isn't it?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Tell
0: me, tell me their names.
1: Uh, the elder one is called Najin. Najin is 30 years old. Yes, and uh, Fatu is the youngest one. She's twenty years old.
0: And uh, and you told me something. You told me something about yes yesterday. Who 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 who, who are they to you in your in your relationship? <laughs> <laughs> or is that is or is that a secret? <laughs> Do we not? I
1: think I think, I, I think uh, it, it's a relationship, but I don't keep it secret. Um, uh fatu <laughs> Fatu qualifies to be my girlfriend. Uh <laughs> Fatu the youngest one is my my girlfriend. And uh she, she's the very first rhino that I worked with when I came here. And you can imagine that experience, Rona, um getting the first introduction to a rhino and being able to go close to and, and feel them and, and be around them. It's 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 really a lovable experience. And I fell in love with her the very first time I came. She she was very quick at uh, you know uh, accepting me and uh, and having us pressure bond and, and that's how she qualified to be my girlfriend. And she got then,
0: into your heart. She got right in there. Yeah. Tell me, tell me, tell me, because they for a lot of people that don't know the difference between the rhinos, the distinguishing characteristics and the distinguishing traits, that are physical and otherwise. What is it that's um, what is it specific about the great northern white um because I know they all have different ears, right? I mean, these, for anybody, we'll, we'll, we'll hopefully we'll be able to, which is wonderful. If the, the signal permits us, we'll be able to go out and take a look at them uh, towards yeah. the end, once we finish chatting. But just tell us what the, these, mag- I mean, they really look prehistoric. I mean, I can't even, I've, I've obviously, I've never actually had the privilege. I've seen a rhino, but I've never seen a Great Northern. They are huge, wonderful, magnificent, uh, like something that, that you almost think they're not real. So, 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 what that first introduction? Tell, tell us a little bit about the great northern white and, and how they're different from other from the rhinos.
1: Yeah, they they are um, they are huge, as you've mentioned. They are um, uh, the, the basic. You know, we realize for the white rhinos we have two subspecies. We have the southern whites and we have the northern white rhinos. So they differ from the 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 southern white by the fact that the northern white have got fluffy ears; they have got hairy ears, mm-hmm. compared to the southern that have less hairs on their ears. Mm-hmm. And then um, the, the 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 southern have got more muscles, as we will see later on. They have got more muscles on the neck compared to to the northern white that have a flatter uh, muscle area uh, on the neck. And then uh, if you look at the skin tone of the northern white nose, they are a bit bumpy all over their skin and a bit rough compared to the southern white nose that are are smooth. And the way they stand, um, the northern white nose are sort of like sloping at the back, while the southern are like more upright. So that's the most um, distinguishing physical features between the northern and and the southern. Um, Others are morphological, they are like inside the animal's body.
0: Right, okay. I, I have, I'm curious about this with your relationship with, uh, with them both, actually. So when, uh, when you spend time, I know because I, I work with horses and other animals, when you spend time one-on-one intensely in a very loving capacity with an animal and they understand that you pose no threat to them, um, something very specific happens. And, and, and I, can't even, I can't even imagine what that must be like with um, a, a creature like a rhino. Do you feel that specifically that you, you have this connection that when you see each other, she recognizes, they both recognize you and a, a voice thing, a, 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 a voice thing. Uh, what, tell me about that communication that's very specific to you, that you, that you recognize if it's there. Um, because that bond yeah, they, they, that people don't understand, which is more than just going in and feeding. And I understand that we're saying, you know, there's a routine to the day. But that other level of connection, which is something that nobody can see but and it's something that only that you feel um, and t- tell me a little bit about that.
1: I think uh, it, it's a very rewarding experience having having a bond with uh, a being that can look you in, in the eyes and, and, and tell you what they feel or that or what, what they you know you just express yourself to them and Relate with how they behave and react to you. And the bond with these girls is is really a very special bond that spans all across all of us as a team. Uh, Because apart from rhinos being charismatic and iconic species and very prehistoric looking, um, they're sadly the last. And, And that changes the whole subject you know the the our relationship grows and and gets more deeper by the realization that um, as far as we know and as far as has been confirmed to us these are the last living individuals and so we we share a very profound um, you know relationship built on Uh, their reliance to us, the fact that they were born and raised in a zoo with human dependence, and we can't introduce them back into the world here because they can't thrive or survive by themselves. And so we have to um, have that attachment so that we can be able to look effectively after them. And so... It's a beautiful, it's a beautiful relationship, it's, and especially uh, for Sudan, who, who died in 2018 as the last male known Northern White Rhino. Um, the, the, just that realization, realization alone is is enough. Giving all you can for these animals and trying to do the best for them.
0: Do you feel that when you're looking at them in the eyes, there's a connection and an, and an understanding of something more profound that's happening? Do you think there's an awareness from them at all on an, on, on an intelligence level, um, on a spiritual level, dare I say it?
1: Yeah, I feel, I feel that because I think um, when I imagine of what extinction really looks like, I think we humanity have been able to define what it is. And I think to so many of us, it sounds like an abstract definition. We... We have never lived extinction as humans, and I think we've not seriously walked into it. And um, looking into the eyes of these animals on a day-to-day basis and, um, and trying to relate with what is happening in their world and, and, and trying to imagine what they might be going through. We are in the middle of a crisis now that is scaring the entire world. But the, the, the essence of extinction, which means um, going, and leaving this planet forever without ever coming back is a scary thing. That I can tell that these animals feel it. You know, sometimes you look at them, you see how they behave, you see how they react to issues, and you can tell that this um, infinite dark road of extinction that is beckoning um, uh, on them on the other side is, is is so empty and and filled with nothingness that it, it's scary. You know. And I look at them, and I relate so much. If you, uh, and and that is some of the things that I've been able to share using um, social media that I've found when I I sometimes will look at Sudan, and and I would imagine what would he tell the world, and I would get these feelings and thoughts that would come into my mind. This is exactly what he would want to tell people. And and these things can be relayed. And anyone who is very keen enough to, you know, st- stop seeing them as as other beings, and, and and sit down and 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 relate with them as as beings with souls and and beings with with a living. You you can be able to get into that profound sense of what they might be going through at any particular time. And I can attest that these rhinos feel that the overwhelming um, aspect of extinction is. Um, Approaching them at a very fast rate, and there's, there's nothing they can do as much as because they are animals, but they just have to wait and stay for it to come and maybe so you know, wipe them.
0: Ah, oh, James, thank you for, for putting that so beautifully. Um, you, I think you just expressed something which is so incredibly important and profound, which is that, um, they are. They are beings, <laughs> just like us. And this separation is the very thing that has created this issue, this divide, this, um, this extinction for so many species and now potentially ourselves, is this separation. And so what I'm really hearing is that a bit of humility and self-reflection and, and um, simplification and mindfulness is what's required.
1: Yeah, and I think uh, also a simple understanding that if you are alive, and I think that is one of the things that I got from my elders, is that if you lived, live life on half. You know, if if you are enjoying what the planet is giving in, then don't be a parasite. Don't only take, but at least give back. You you can just live. And I think if we are all conscious enough to give an element of care, the 7 billion of us if everyone took a part to care for the planet, just a little bit, it would be very easy. We wouldn't be struggling to put things back again. So I think if we are all alive and we, we, we are able to care enough, then it, it will be easy for us to have that self-reflection and internalize that we are living because of the very same planet and don't expect someone to to solve the issues of the planet on your behalf while you're still existing because of the very planet.
0: I think you 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 you've connected to something the most profound thing to me, James, which is that when you get to that place where you realize that there's no separation between you and that rhino in as far as you can feel that rhino's heartbeat, you can you can connect with the soul and the spirit of another being, there is an absolute realization that there is we are all operating as one whole, but it's it's this it's a unification that we are disconnected from that. I think is the absolute key factor to, um, to, to, to creating this healing that's so essential for us. Um, and I think that the healing starts actually with taking care of really starting thinking about to how we take care of ourselves and how it is that we are relating, relating to absolutely everything, rather than taking, taking, taking from everything, to feel, because we're in pain. We're, we're so dis- disconnected as a species that what we're doing was we're inflicting more and more pain because we're in this cycle of abuse, you know, not to get too heavy or too dark into that. But, but I do think that we can say that more and more we can absolutely do our best, right? Absolutely our best in every single moment.
1: Yeah. And I think it's all, it's all across respect and, um, and, and build on, on that understanding, as, as you've mentioned all about, I think, is just clearly drawing a line on what is important and what is not important and how much do we or do i need and how much can i take because the the resultant is either way we can either take too much or we can consume too much and i think at the end of the day if we don't strike the balance in either in either side of the argument then uh, it's going to be at the compromise of the planet and i think. that's where we need to draw a line as a, as a, as a smarter species inhabiting the planet.
0: James, I just want to say thank you so much for for taking this time and for sharing your passion and your commitment um, with, with 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 everybody at the moment. And I just I, I really hope you keep safe. You know, you're in all of our hearts, and and I know it's really every single day. You know, it's putting your lives on the line. I think people don't really understand the the danger um, that that you are up against. You know, as as much as it can look wonderful that you're there with these incredible, beautiful creatures on a daily basis, I think that the risk is so incredibly great. So um, I really, you know, from my heart, thank you so much because I understand that it's an incredible sacrifice um, on a daily basis for you and your yeah. and, and all the other guys out there. So it's tremendous
1: work. Thank you so much as well for doing this, and it's mutual, I feel the same as well, and I really appreciate that you are doing this.
0: So well, well, I hope. To, to, to come and visit and see those wonderful ladies for myself at some point. But until then, we'll
1: yeah, yeah.
0: Uh, show a huge gratitude for this and, um, and just sending you, you know, big, big love.
1: I can't wait to introduce you to the girls, to my girlfriend and my mother-in-law.
0: I want to touch those fluffy ears. That's like, I just, I'm looking at those ears and I just, I wouldn't be able to keep my hands off them. They're just the, the most divine things um yes you have to introduce me to your girlfriend and your mother-in-law Man, amazing i'd rather have to thank come and with carrots i imagine
1: <laughs> no we'll, we'll, we'll talk with them before you come so thank you so much and all right much love to
0: you james okay yeah be well same
1: to me as well thank you bye
0: Thank you so much to the amazing James Mwenda. That was such an epic privilege being able to chat with James before he took off on leave. And Elodie at Olpajeta Conservancy for making that happen. Thank you so much. It was absolutely worth getting up at 5 o'clock in the morning for you, James. I would do it absolutely any day of the week for you and your girls and for the rest of the boys and the girls down there in Alpageta Conservancy and all the other conservancies, organisations and um, parks uh, throughout Kenya, throughout Africa, throughout the rest of the world. Um, all you guys, the guys and girls who are boots on the ground doing this incredibly dangerous work, taking care of our our beloved furry, four-legged, scaled and feathered and uh, uh, brothers and sisters. You are putting your lives on the line every single day. And now with this situation um it's amplified tenfold and the exposure the vulnerability and so i feel you and um i've got nothing but the greatest amount of respect and love for all of you it blows my mind really and um just thank you for the work you do and if anyone listening to this if if all of you listening to this it would be wonderful but if some of you felt uh touched and compelled to support uh james and his Friends at Olpageta, then um, I will be posting links with this episode. You can see what Olpageta are up to by going to olpagegetaconservncy dot dot org which is o l p e j e t a conservancy dot org There's ten ways to help there's a an emergency appeal um but you can also follow james on his instagram page he's got lots of groovy things that he's up to and um old on their instagram page they do sofa safaris and um and um it's a, a, a daily sort of uh trip actually you get to sort of be transported to kenya from your living room which is pretty bloody magical um and that aside If you enjoyed this episode, if you enjoyed this episode and you like what we're doing here and the general direction that it's going in, please subscribe to The Last Arc on Apple Podcasts, the Acast app on Spotify or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Every little nice thing helps. You can also rate and review (laughs) on Apple Podcasts and you can follow me. I am Rona Mitra on Instagram and you can follow James went on Instagram, and you can follow Olbojetto on Instagram. And there's also new, it should be up and run, running, it's called The Last Little Ark, and that's on Instagram too. And that's where I will be posting updates of upcoming episodes. You can also write comments, You can you can give me feedback on what you thought of the interview, on me, on my annoying voice, on the crappy mic situation, or whatever it is you feel. Uh, You can DM or you can write in the comment box and um, any questions for upcoming guests as well. Um, We can sort of weave that in as well if they're pertinent. Um, No, I'm joking. Um, It would be lovely to hear from you. And also, please take a look at the video footage of these amazing girls, these uh, rhinos, these last two great northern white rhinos while they snuffle down the microphone and... um, we get to have that interaction with them. That's on my Instagram page and it should be on Objeta's as well and I would imagine James will post it too, but um, take a peek and I hope you're all taking care of each other out there through this, uh, this bonkers time and being as lovely and snuggly and cuddly with each other as possible with social distancing measures or I prefer to call it physical distancing measures because we really need to keep our social... Love, interaction, engagement, energetic frequencies aligned, connected, and flowing. So we can all still be in this cuddle puddle together somehow throughout this time of darkness and just fend off the darkness. Just keep it at bay. Just don't allow it in. Just not my monkeys, not my circus. Take care of yourselves, protect yourselves give out all the love, it's a superpower, I'm sending, I'm sending mine to you, I'm sending cuddles and snuggles to you all, and um, until next week, until I have the next amazing guest, which I'm not going to tell you who it is, you'll have to go to my Instagram page to find out, um, but until next week, take care of yourselves and each other, sending you lots of love, bye. <laughs>